When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Howdy. Welcome to the only daily Premier League podcast. I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily. It's a shock Premier League preview show today because we've got a full fixture list of top flight action popping up in the middle of the week. Six games tonight, that's Tuesday night, if you're listening maybe on a different day. To get through, that includes two derbies, one London-flavoured and one South Coast-flavoured, and maybe a couple of relegation six-pointers to discuss too. I'll be picking over those choice cuts shortly in the company of Mr Meme, that is uh, Marley Anderson. Ma- wow, that's the 50-second uh, <laughs> Mr Man that didn't quite make the series. <laughs> There's more, like, I've got a six-shot, there are more than 52 Mr Men now. There, are, there is a an endless now. supply of Mr Men. He's probably like Mr. Left-Wing Conservationist. <laughs> You're not far off there, riding Mr. the Mr. Save cow. the World. Uh, that is Marley Anderson. He looks after the Sports Social Twitter account. So if you tweet us at the Sports Social, he is the man who will reply to you. And alongside him, we've got Matt Pidd, Manchester City fan, podcaster and football social daily listener. Hello, Matt. Hello, lads. Thank you for coming in. Good to see you. Yeah, yeah, good to see you too. Good to be here. If you're a uh, football social listener and you are a football fan and you fancy coming into the podcast, by the way, it's an open door. You're always welcome. It's your show and it's all about fan opinion. So if you fancy it, if you're in Manchester or you want to even join us on Skype, you can get involved via the Twitter account. Talk to Marley at the Sports Social and we'll try and hook you up. But let's crack on with the games because it's a full fixture list in the Premier League. Midweek action and we're going to start with the London derby, although it's not really the London derby for either of these teams. It's Arsenal versus Chelsea, who probably both care more about playing Tottenham than they (laughs) care about playing each other. But it's always a tasty-ish affair, this one, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's um, it's got a history of that, obviously, down the years. um, Arsenal and Chelsea was a um, sort of a title-contending match back in the day, Mm. but now it's sort of like a slog for the uh, Europa League places which obviously for both sets of fans must be a little bit depressing, but you've got two young up-and-coming managers in Frank Lampard and Mikel Arteta, and um, obviously it's going to be interesting to see who wins the tactic battle on the night. With derbies at the moment, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's got the excitement of the usual 
derby atmosphere. No. But you don't get that very often anymore. I'm even thinking about Manchester United-Liverpool at the weekend, which was always one of the hotly contended ones. And I don't know why it is. I don't know whether it's that the game is not as physical or... You're just getting a bit old, Jim. <laughs> is that, <laughs> so is that out, out to pasture, just uh, like, well, I'm not bothered anymore. Have I started like... West Ham's depression. Going, it was is... better in the old days. <laughs> yeah, <but I> <laughs> when, I, when I was a lad. The good old days. Like, no, but there is something that's different. I don't know if it's the players... You don't get as many English or players that are from the cities in which they play, or whether it's the game doesn't have the same kind of meaty challenges. It's in not as feisty, to... is that what yeah, you're saying? or whether mm. it's just there's more of a focus on the overall competition rather than kind of individual touchstones throughout the season. There probably is a bit of that, to be fair. Um, when you talk about challenges and stuff, you can't get away with anything these days, can you? No. With, <laughs> no. with VAR looking at everything, retrospective action and all the rest of it, you know, you've seen... Um, in the Norwich game at the weekend, uh, that challenge probably wouldn't have even been looked at a, a while ago when Callum Wilson got his. I mean, it was a bad tackle, don't get me wrong, but like you can't you can't do that now. So in in derbies where it used to be, you know, the two hardest guys on the team, but like a hockey hockey match sometimes, wouldn't it? When the, you just get the two meters on each team just going at each other for <laughs> ninety minutes, like it's not like Keane Vieira, like, yeah, yeah, Keane versus Vieira, definitely. Keane versus Shearer, Keane versus Harlan. <laughs> this is a common denominator. There. Keane it's just Keane, isn't it? Yeah. Keane versus his dog. <laughs> um, everything, you know. So um, it's it's probably a bit of that. It's just the times we live in now. It's not quite as as competitive and uh, sort of blood and guts type fight. Um, but I think as well. The last you talked about Man United Liverpool, which was kind of different. But you remember the Manchester derby the last time that was on a Tuesday as well in the Carabao Cup, mm-hmm. and we won, we said the same thing on on the t- sort of Tuesday. We we're like, is, is anyone really bothered about this? But I just think it's a midweek derby, and you don't have time to get to get excited for it because you're not work building to up to it all week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you got the big shop to do. <laughs> yeah, work in the big shop, and then then it's like, oh, the derby's derby's tonight. Christ, I forgot about that. And as you said, it's it's Chelsea Arsenal, and they both have one thing in common: is that they hate Spurs more than each other. Mm. So there you go. It's also a repeat of the Europa League final last yeah, season, yeah. but everything's completely different at both clubs now. Well, the interesting different managers, everything. As you said, Matt, it's kind of a two young managers going toe to toe here, and two managers that probably both need a little bit of time to fully impact the team. Arteta's obviously fresher in the job than Lampard and we were talking on the podcast yesterday that there are small portions of the Arsenal fan base that appear to be turning on Arteta already, which is ridiculous. And it is a small minority rather than a large minority. It's certainly not well, every, every village has its idiots. Yeah, yeah completely. You know I mean? Lampard. Arsenal have got their fair share. Yeah, that is. <laughs> Lampard, on the <laughs> other hand, he weird. seems to be having a little bit of a honeymoon period still, even though he's been there since the beginning of the season. And he started like an absolute rocket at Chelsea. The results were brilliant. They've dropped off a little bit slightly, but there's no indication that either the fan base or the board are going to lose patience with him at any point. He seems like he's in there for the long haul to do a project. Yeah, I think that's because of obviously, you know, what he's done for the club. He's their all time leading goal scorer. He's won countless trophies for them. Basically, if it wasn't Frank Lampard, I think there'd be um, a few grumblings from Chelsea fans. But I think it's just one of them things where, you know, because of who he is, he's going to be given time. And I think that, that that's fair enough because that's not something that happens nowadays. Managers aren't given time mm. to put their stamp on things, to build their own team. You know, if it's not instant success, then it's usually like, you know, it's out the door. Thing is, as well, with, with Lampard, if you look where Chelsea are in the league, they're fourth in the league. Uh, the league's gone, so they can't really get yeah. much higher than, you know, fourth. They might catch Leicester in third. They probably will catch Leicester at some point. 
Um, but there's a six-point gap there, and then there's a five-point gap behind them. So they're kind of just marooned in fourth. Doesn't matter what they do, they're not they're not in that like pack of where it can be two wins can get you into eighth or eighteenth. I suppose there's an element of expectation as well, isn't it? Lampard was expected to do nothing this season. Mm. We always described it as a free hit with the transfer ban, which has since been lifted, obviously, and the idea that he was in there just to kind of steady the ship for a little bit, and he's certainly done that. And I do wonder whether the results dropping off slightly are to do with the transfer ban being lifted, because it seems to have coincided, and I wonder if there was this siege mentality, almost, with Lampard talking to his young players, coming, we're in this together, we can do this, and then once this discussion around new players coming in and the possibility of, he's talked about new strikers, new uh, left-sided midfielder coming in, whether that siege mentality's gone a little bit. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know, it's easy to speculate, isn't it? But I just think with the young players as well, like they're all, it's still a young team. You've got the likes of Reese James and Mason Mount and Hudson Adoy all coming through and even Tammy Abraham as well. Mm. Um, then you've got this kind of middle of the season period. That's that's where they start to struggle. Like mm. the young, you need a bit of experience around Christmas time. You need to sort of grind out a few results and a young team's never going to have the, the know-how to do that. That's that's something that just comes with experience. Um, so it's gaining that experience. I think everyone and everyone at Chelsea seems to be in the same position, like pulling in the same direction. They're not expecting, you know, amazing things—a title challenge from from Frank Lampard. No. They're yeah. just bringing, yeah, not yet, yeah. but they are bringing through the the players that can give them a, a title challenge in future. So the likes of the four that I've just mentioned will be Chelsea regulars for the next five six years. Hopefully, that's what they'll be hope, they'll be hoping to do. They just need to get the um, the defence sorted out because there's been a lot of rotation at the back, which mm. again doesn't help. Um, and then they need to sort out the the sort of backup striker because they seem to be in for another another striker, but need to get rid of Giroud and Batuay first. So once they sort of that, then everything's in place. And then you're looking at next season for a real sort of like the real sort of idea of where they're going and where they're at. Yeah, just for them to push on a little bit from this season. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to get worse. They're not going to make the season worse this this season with the lads. The, the lads are bringing through are great. So just let them mature. You'll be all right. A few injury concerns for both teams. To pick a few names from the lengthy injury lists, and every Premier League team seems to have a lengthy injury list at the moment. Um, you've got Chelsea are without Pulisic, and also Loftus Cheek is out. Arsenal, Socrates, uh, Reese Nelson out for them as well. But the big miss for both teams, I guess, or big miss out of both teams, I should say is Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who has served one game of a three-match ban. And without him at the weekend against Sheffield United, Arsenal just looked a little bit toothless. Yeah, obviously he's their, he's their focal point up front and um, he's obviously his goal, his goal speak for themselves. But that'll be the worrying thing for Arsenal because, I mean, they've, they've still got some quality on the pitch, don't get me wrong, but without Aubameyang, like you said, they, they look toothless up front and to go to... It's at Stamford Bridge tonight, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah to go to Stamford Bridge without Aubameyang there, I think um, a few Arsenal fans will be obviously happy if they just come away from there without getting beat. I mean, Lacazette's a good second option yeah, to have in there, he and he's, he's you'd probably argue his movement's slightly better, and he's a little bit faster. But Aubameyang just has that that knack, isn't it? Yeah, he's just got instinctive. I think you call it, don't you? When as a forward that just gets goals, just gets in the right position and. He was, the, he was the exact same at Dortmund. I went to um, a Dortmund game a couple of years ago against Eintracht Frankfurt, and I was I was quite high up in the stadium. And I was looking, I was looking at his movement, and like you said, Lacazette's movement seems better. I mean, Aubameyang tends to use um, a little bit of his pace to get behind, but he's sort of lost that pace now from a couple of years ago, and he he tends to rely on being on the right place at the right time mm. now. 
And um, when you look when you look at his goals, not not a, a great deal of them. Um, not tappings, you know what I mean. He seems to be in the box at the right place at the right time. And without that at Stamford Bridge tonight, you know they might struggle. But um, like you said, Lacazette, you know if if he's if he's firing on all cylinders tonight, then they've, they've got half a chance. I'm going to push you both on some much cursed football social predictions for these games as well. <laughs> which pretty hell. much, however we predict these games going, they tend to go the opposite way. So how are you seeing this one? Chelsea versus Arsenal, Matt. I'm going to go for a 2-0 Chelsea win. I was going to go 2-0 Chelsea. Marley? Uh, I'm going to go 2-2. 2-2, a draw for Marley. Right, let's move on. Sheffield United versus Manchester City. Now, for me at the moment, I mean, we are going to talk about Sheffield United and how good they've been this season because it seems like a regular talking point across football at the moment. But Manchester City is the interesting one here because the league is gone. No matter what Steve says on the Football Social Daily, our (laughs) Liverpool fan, the league is gone. It's sewn up. It's done. But for Manchester City, it's really important that they keep focus Yep. from here on in, not just to hold on to that second place because they have got Leicester in third just behind them, but also to keep that momentum going for the Champions League when the last 16 picks back up. Yeah, winning is um, is a good habit to have and I don't care what anyone says. It doesn't matter if we're playing um, in the Cup against Oxford or United or anything like that. He wants to win every single game and this against Sheffield United tonight... It's a really, really tough affair because we all know how good Sheffield United have been this season, especially at home. I mean, we was the first team to beat them um, as, a, as a visit inside. And the way we've defended this season, it's obviously, it's a great it's a great loss when uh, you miss Laporte for so long. But when we didn't address the issue of, you can't replace Vincent Company. I don't care what anyone says, you can't replace mm. him. He's, he's just one of them players that's just... A, a gem. We didn't even try, though, did they? No, we didn't even <laughs> try. We didn't even, we didn't even try. We bought we bought Rodri for um, a defensive midfield job, but that wasn't the issue we needed to address. Every every city fan that I've spoken to said, "I think we might miss a trick here, not trying to get someone in who's got the same sort of leadership qualities as Vincent Company that can get you through the games that you need to get through." You know, that's where we've gone wrong a lot this season. We've um, We've lacked that leadership, when, especially when we've got a couple of goals up. I think we've given away um, a couple of two goals lead this season mm-hmm. and that wouldn't happen under Vincent Company. Vincent Company would not let that happen. And if we go to Sheffield United tonight and keep a clean sheet, I'll be very, very surprised. I really will. Well, there's defensive issues again for City. That's what's been which, our downfall. Which is, yeah, it's been the story of the season. Laporte's still out, obviously, although he might be coming back in the next few weeks. John Stones is out. He's got a leg injury. Benjamin Mendy is muscle fatigue, so he won't be playing, which I assume is just down to a lack of game time. Yeah. So we're either going to see Otamendi at the back, I guess, again, or Fernandinho's going to drop back into that defensive line. I'd like to see Eric Garcia given a chance. It's obviously it's a tough place to go to, Bramall Lane, but uh, Marley was saying before about experience with young players. The only way you can gain experience is by playing in these types of games. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen of Eric Garcia when he's played, he looks really, really good, really comfortable on the ball, but also he's very, very vocal. Um, John Stones against Crystal Palace on Saturday. He was, um, oh God, I mean, I like John Stones. He's he's done a lot for us in a couple of seasons that he's been there. He's won two league titles. He's, but I think when he's not got that that defensive partner with him, that Laporte, I think yeah. he just falls really short of what he's of what he's capable of. And Zaha had him on toast on Saturday. I think, I don't know if it is an injury or if Pep Guardiola is just um, dressing it a little bit, protecting him, yeah, a bit. protecting him a little bit. Yeah, I think he's just basically just taking him out the firing line. Um, letting him just have a little bit of time out and obviously come back into the side when he feels like he's ready. But if Eric Garcia plays tonight, I'd, I'd, I quite like that. 
Fernandinho next to him. Um, obviously, he's, he's got the experience next to him, man. But Eric Garcia, like I said before, he seems to be one that actually wants to, you know, organise. Mm. I remember watching him against Leicester in the Carabao Cup, I think it was last season. He was telling Otamendi what to do. Otamendi was out of position quite a lot, as we know, you know, he's quite rash. Wanting to go and win the ball early, Eric Garcia slide tackle everything. Yeah, slide tackle all everything to do. Um, Garcia was screaming at him, and get, Garcia at the time was eighteen years old. Mm. So that that says to me that he's got that leadership quality in him. So I think I read something about him wanting to do his coaching badges already. He is, yeah. He goes yeah. to watch the um, he goes to watch the under 18s and under twenty ones and stuff like that. He's always yeah. at the academy stadium, always so watching. He him is so he, potentially that company replacement. That's what I'm thinking. I'm hoping anyway. Let's talk about Sheffield United quickly because they have been the surprise package in the Premier League this year. For me, I mean, we can only talk so much about how good they've been this season and they have been superb and no one expected it. So I think a lot of credit goes to Chris Wilder for that. But how do they develop from here? Because they've taken a load of unfashionable players and they've made a team that works. It seems difficult for me to take a step up from that to build on the success they've had this season. I don't... We've seen so many times teams get promoted, have a brilliant first season and fall away in the second season. Second season syndrome. Yeah, it is that. And part of that is from building on the team you already have. So investing in players that maybe aren't quite as unfashionable. Maybe they're kind of one rotation out of fashion instead of two. So it's flares instead of bootcut jeans or whatever it is. (laughs) But how how does Chris Wilder... Let's not talk about your flare selection again. (laughs) Show your age there, Jim. (laughs) How does does Chris Wilder build on this? How does he develop the Sheffield United team from here? For for me, I think they they just need more goals in that team. Um, You know, the likes of... Moussa had a good little run early in the season, but I think he only got four or five. McBurney's got a couple... Um, got McGoldrick, McGoldrick well, hasn't yeah. scored Billy Sharp hasn't scored I don't think he might have won he scored one against Bournemouth on the one. first game there you season. Go. so what's that like that's less than 10 goals I think from, from all your strikers and that's that's what you need like I would look at someone let, when you're relying you, on your centre-backs to score you probably need a new striker yeah, yeah. I think the, the midfielders like Fleck and um, Lundstrom have mm. scored a few goals and that's mm. that's helped them out massively and uh that's that's the next step. If you look at them next season, I think if you look at who's maybe going down, if let's say Bournemouth go down, go and try and get Callum Wilson. He loves yeah. British players. Mm-hmm. Like they have a complete British eleven except Moose, which is like a Brexit team. <laughs> he'd um, suit them down to the ground, Callum Wilson. Yeah, he'd be perfect for them, Callum Wilson. Um so if he goes down, you know, he would obviously want to stay in the Premier League to have his his England chance and what have you. Um maybe go for someone like him and then they've just got to get the goalkeeper situation sorted because it depends what Man United want to do with with Dean Henderson, but you know you'd be you'd be trying to get him in on a permanent deal because mm. you can offer him first team football for as long as, long as they're in the Premier League. So that they're the two the two options, and then it's just whoever you want, tell whoever you what, else you think. What could be a real double edged sword for Sheffield United next season? And we're looking ahead now, so they're in seventh at the moment, thirty three points. They're five points off Champions League football, <laughs> which is insane yeah. to say <laughs> that. But I think more realistically, you could see him falling into that. 7th, 6th, 7th Europa League spot, yeah. which Wolves had to do this season. And going through those qualifying games and the Europa League itself could be a real challenge for a team like Sheffield United. Chris Wilder has, I mean, he, I don't think he's even heard the word squad rotation before in his career because you look at his It's core, the same 11, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same 11, game after game after game. And there isn't the depth there currently no. to to cope with something like the Europa League. So again, it would be a case of recruiting sensibly and whether that would disrupt what they currently have or not is a completely different question. 
Yeah, um, they their backup team in in the cups and stuff looks like really weak compared to the first team. Like the first team looks a bit weak when you, if you like us at the start of the season, we were like, who's John Egan? Who's that? Who's, like, it's on yeah. paper, isn't it? O'Connell, yeah. all, who are these guys? But obviously they've all proved themselves. Ravel Morrison. <laughs> Friend of the podcast. <laughs> Friend of the podcast, Ravel Morrison. Follows me on Twitter. All right, Ravel. Morning, Ravel. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, they just need they need more depth. Obviously, they'll cross that bridge when they come to it, mm. though. I mean, the the likes of uh, the backup players of Jack Rodwell, Mohamed Besic. They've got they've got all right players, but they've they've not got in. They've not got twenty two. They've, they've got an 11, 12, 13 core they've got, players. They've got a team of disappointing players, haven't they? Disappointing signings for other teams that they've gone and. Mopped up and bought <laughs> in, essentially. It's funny you should say, you should, uh, you should say that because I was looking at, um, I was watching them on uh, Saturday, and I think uh, Oliver Norwood is he's a player, him fantastic little player. I'd love him at Newcastle, but uh, Sheffield United are better than us, than us at the minute. So <laughs> I think John you know. Flex, they're their best player. Yeah, Flex Te- a good, technically good player, brilliant. Yeah. Technically, he's brilliant. He's a, he's a joy to watch when he's got the ball at his feet and his movements very, very, very good as well. Obviously, he's um, he's got a decent. Um, a decent football brain then I think they'll do well to keep hold of him next season I think there'll be a few clubs eyeing him up what are we saying for this one then Sheffield United versus Manchester City you want a clean sheet and nothing else Matt yeah how many goals do you see City scoring then oh god um, right I'm gonna I'm gonna go to 2-1 two, Man City 2-1 two, Man City I think we might see a few key players rested for City I think Aguero won't feature Jesus might play up front so I think it's gonna be a lot tighter I'm gonna go 1-1 one, one. I think uh, I think Sheffield United might get a point there, Marley. Uh, I think City will will walk it. To be honest, I think it'll be three, I hope you're right. three nil. <laughs> three. I can't nil. see no. Sheffield United scoring. Uh, I don't. I just don't think they've got enough up front. I mean, City aren't great defensively, but City aren't great defensively, and Sheffield United aren't great up front. So I just think I think it'll be relatively easy for Man City. They're just too. They're slightly too good. So we've gone for two wins for City and a draw in my book, which means it's a Sheffield United win. <laughs> if you're playing your tipsters or you're betting or your ackers or whatever it is. Right, Aston Villa versus Watford. Four weeks ago, this one was a relegation battle. Watford have turned it around. They're by no means safe, but they're certainly looking like they're going in the right direction. Villa, on the other hand, well, they look all but down pretty much. How do you see this one going? Both teams at risk of going down still. Watford definitely on the up, though. Villa just can't score goals. No, I think um, I think Watford will get a win there. Pearson's just replicating that that run that he had. <laughs> Do you remember when um, Leicester was? He was think it was at the back end of the um, might have been fifteen, sixteen, or is it fourteen, fifteen, fourteen, fifteen season? Mm. Yeah, when there was, I think it was was the bottom at Christmas that season. Uh, we near enough bottom, weren't they? Everyone had they them tipped right to go down. down there, yeah. yeah, and then he got this remarkable run going, which obviously carried on through to the next season where they ended up winning the league. But Pearson, I don't know what it is with him. He just seems to, when when um, when the shit hits the fan, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they, all, they all seem to um, to get the, the getting out of the trenches and, um, and march on. I'm expecting the wheels to come off Watford at some point, though, because I think that type of management, that type of Ma- Nigel Pearson, I'm going to go in, I'm going to shout at people... I'm going to do it the British way, proper football man kind of mentality. It yeah. has a short lifespan. You get that new manager bounce, you get that instant reaction, but I don't think it carries on that long afterwards. I'm just expecting it at some point to fall by the wayside. And whether Watford are safe enough by that point or not is another question. Yeah, start being a different Because he has come in reasonably early into the season. What about Aston Villa, though, Marley? Because... Mm. Fourth game this will be without a recognised striker and they have gone some way to resolve that. They've signed Samata 
He's um, from Genk. He won't be playing tonight. He's not being completed in time, but he will solve their problem going forward. But scoring goals is a problem for Villa. Samata is by no means the solution. Wesley was by no means the solution when they brought him in in the summer. They just missed a trick, didn't they, by bringing in someone who was a guaranteed 10, 15 goals a season. Yeah, um, but they're they're hard to find and they cost you 50-odd million. I think Mm. Wesley was 25 Thirty million, something like that. So, and he's you got to take a chance when you when you're coming up because uh, it's hard to get established players from abroad to come and fight at relegation all season, and then to, you're just like you're forced into having a taking a bit of a punt on someone. I don't think Wesley's been too too bad. He's not scored in quite in as many goals as Villa would have hoped, mm. but obviously now he's injured, and you've got to find a new one. So Samata's not going to play tonight, and that just means that everything again is going to go through Jack Grealish. Um, and it's he's just everything for them at the minute. Like forty odd percent of their goals this season, aren't yeah, it? Like he's just involved in everything. Like he's playing amazing, which is like fair because I think Villa would be more rooted in the bottom three if they didn't have him playing as well. Um, the one thing Dean Smith needs to do is give Jack Grealish some proper shin pads because if he gets injured, <laughs> they are done. <laughs> that is it. He'll refuse to wear them, doesn't he? he wears a <laughs> tiny little postage stamp shin pads, but. Just his style, isn't it? I watched him at the weekend and he, he was on the... I looked at... He, I think he, when he scored, he did some sort of slide and he's just his entire legs were just covered in mud. I was, it looked like more like a rugby player who'd been in a scrum. Reminds me of Sunday League. Brilliant. When um, players used to forget the shin pads, used to put SIG packets underneath <laughs> socks. <laughs> it is hard to see anything other than uh, Watford win here. Not by a lot, but I think it's just going to be too much for Aston Villa again. Yeah. And it's one... If Villain are going to stay up, this is exactly the kind of game they're going to need to win. But you look at Watford's recent run, and they're unbeaten in seven games now. And that includes taking points off Manchester United and Tottenham and Sheffield United. Yeah. So you just fancy him to do Villa, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's the classic uh, six-pointer, isn't it? It is. I, I actually think it'll be a draw. I don't know why. That's the kind of punditry that you come to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just stabbing at it. I just don't think Watford have that many goals, and with it being at Villa Park, I think uh, I think that'll help Villa quite a lot. Okay. Um, Yeah. One one. Let's look at AFC Bournemouth versus Brighton. Now, can we class this season so far as a good season for Brighton? Because I was trying to work this out earlier today, and you look at the (laughs) league table, and you look at the results, and you go, meh. Essentially, yeah. it's not been particularly exciting. There hasn't been much progression results-wise compared to last season under Chris Hooten. But when you actually watch them, and I have to confess, I haven't watched Brighton a great deal this season because they're not on very early on match of the day and I'm asleep by the end of it, so I don't get to see very much of it. But from what I have seen, Graham Potter has got them playing a completely different style of football, a much better, more attractive style of football, and they're just in this period of transition. And when you're a team in a period of transition, the results aren't going to come straight away. So you kind of have to look at Brighton for what it is in terms of this is them developing from one style of football to another style of football. Well, I think that's what the the fans will be looking at. I mean, under Chris Hewton, it wasn't particularly attractive style. I think that's what they wanted to see, the Brighton fans. I think they just wanted to see a more expansive style of football. And I think... Once Graham Potter's obviously got this season over and done with, he's got um, another transfer window then in the summer to maybe you know bring in a bit more quality personnel that mm. are a bit more you know adept at playing his style of football. And if they, I mean, who's who's the, the striker they've they've got up front? Is it um, 
is a French lad. He comes from uh, Mor- Brentford. Morpé. Morpé. I think if Morpé has a few more um, people behind him that can, you know, give him a bit more better service. I know, I know Gross is a, is a decent player. Mm. He's, he always creates chances. But I think if they get a, a couple more players like that that can give him the opportunity, I think... Um, I think I think Brighton could be one of them them teams next season that you don't want to go to. Graham Potter was talking about playing Mope and Glenn Murray up front potentially for the latter half of the season, which would give him more firepower. But I think for for Brighton, it's the it's kind of almost the other end of the pitch that's the problem. They yeah. need to be able to close out games, stop conceding those sloppy goals in order to make that progression up the table. They're a f- sort of funny case because if you ask me that question, like. Uh, Brighton are a lot better than they were last season, but the the league table suggests like not because if if Villa win tonight and Brighton lose, they're on the same level, same points. So we're talking about Villa being like in trouble. Mm. Brighton by that if that happens, I think you look Brighton at the potential. You look at the potential in the team and like when you watch them play. Yeah, Villa are backs against the wall. Brighton seem on the front foot yeah, and Brighton, playing positive football. They play proper, proper stuff. They keep the ball well and they move it well. They just haven't quite scored enough goals. But you could say that for anyone in the bottom half, couldn't you? We just said it. Said it about Villa. No one's scoring at Bournemouth. Norwich have got Pookie and, and Pookie only really. Uh, Watford haven't got that many goals in them. So it's just it's a common problem down there. But. Brighton Brighton do play much better football than they did last season and yeah. they're a much better team than they were last season. So I think I don't think they'll be in trouble. I think there's there's at least four teams worse than, than Brighton. Bournemouth probably one of those one teams. Of them, yeah. And Bournemouth, Bournemouth definitely need to win tonight. It's is a as far as it's not really a six point, I'm gonna call it a four pointer because I think Bournemouth need to Just win. Making so up they stuff need now, the three point. <laughs> <laughs> no, hear me out, four pointer. Bournemouth need to win. Whereas Brighton need to not lose. Yeah. Okay. So I can, that, see, that, I can yeah, see the sense. There's in that. the four okay. pointer there. All right. um, and there's some defensive worries for Bournemouth as well. Nathan Ake is out and goalkeeper, sorry, centre back, Steve Cook is suspended <laughs> Steve too Cook. after his handball at the weekend. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how many bad results Bournemouth can continue to take before they get rid of Eddie Howe. I've, I've still seen nothing saying he's under pressure. Why not? It's He's re- been awful. Bournemouth are crap. Do you think it's yeah. a case of so bad they'll get relegated and potentially get rid of him? Or you- well, if they get relegated, the best thing they can do is keep him because he- he's still a good manager. However, it's I don't know something's just not working. It's if they want to stay in the Premier League. You know what I mean? Like when uh, teams push the panic button, it's usually Sam Allardyce that comes yeah. stepping oh, through geez. the door in it to shore up the ship. Um, it's how loyal they feel towards Eddie Howe. From taking them from where they were to the Premier League, I don't think any of them, any right-thinking Bournemouth fan would have thought that when, when Eddie Howe first taken over. I think it's still in that honeymoon period if they're not talking about, you know, giving him the sack. They're still saying, mm. oh, well, we love him no matter what, you know, win or lose, you know. But the, the reality of the situation is they are in trouble. And if they're serious about staying in the Premier League, then they're going to have to do something about it. And we see so many teams that go into the championship and don't come back. Well, Leeds, yeah, there you go. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, there's countless teams. I mean, you you look at the championship now and even League One and you go, the amount of former Premier League clubs that are in that mix that don't get back up. There's only five or six in the championship that have never been in the Premier League. Mm, Like, there's there's 24 teams in the championship and I think at least 16, 17 have been in the Premier League in the last sort of 10, 15 years. But, yeah, it's a hard one to come out of, but I don't know... (laughs) It is tough because he has been amazing. Like he started off with Bournemouth in League One, and now they're in the Premier League. And I think some, some, at some stage, where it's gone wrong is he's, he's stayed too loyal to a lot of people. Yeah, like Simon Francis, the captain, not a Premier League player, 
Steve Cook's he's okay. Uh, they haven't got a goalie. They've got a young, ex- like inexperienced goalie, which doesn't help, like Ramsdale and and Travers and stuff like that. It just they've just not got enough quality at the minute. Like they do have it. Fraser's been great last season. Rubbish this season. Mm. Six months left on his contract. Well, so Callum, he, Callum his else is probably elsewhere. Callum Wilson, as you said before, just has stopped scoring yeah. when he was being touted as a potential Chelsea signing and yeah. being touted yeah. as a. Back England up squad, for yeah. Harry Kane, and now he just can't score for Toffee. Yeah, Harry Wilson's been been, been Harry decent, um, but again, he's only on loan. So has he got the f- the the fight and the the care to to want to drag team he's playing for out of it? Josh King, I've never been convinced about Josh King personally, even though he scored a load of goals the other season. I've still never thought he's he's an amazing player, mm. but he's he's gone cold as well, and they're in they're in massive massive trouble. They've got twenty points; they're only three points ahead of Norwich. Mm. Norwich are still playing all right, even though they're getting beat quite a lot. They're still playing positively, still trying to score. Mm. Bournemouth just God, look stale. They couldn't they? score in a brothel. No. Bournemouth, it's it's <laughs> it's horrific at the minute. Really bad. So I'm sensing you're going to back Brighton for this one, Marley. Yeah, I could I couldn't back. I'd back my seven aside team against Bournemouth <laughs> at the minute with seven players. <laughs> Matt. I'm going to go 3-0 Brighton. 3-0 Brighton. Oh, I think this has got 0-0 midweek board draw written all over it. Last on match of the day. Yeah, last on match of the day, as per always. Right, we've got a couple more games to go through. We're going to talk Everton versus Newcastle, Marley's team. We're also going to talk about the least inspiring Premier League fixture of all time, Crystal Palace versus Southampton. We're going to get through that as well, and we'll do some transfer gossip because there's some interesting stories on the back pages of the paper. Stay there, we'll do it in a minute on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. A little bonus Premier League preview ahead of tonight's full Premier League fixture list. There's some games tomorrow. We're covering off the games on Tuesday night. That's the 21st of January. And we're going to do Everton versus Newcastle next. Or the Battle for 11th, as it's probably being dubbed on Sky Sports or something (laughs) along that one. Uh, Go on, Marley. You can give first dibs on this one as it's your Newcastle team. I can't call this one. A few weeks ago, if I was going to look into my crystal ball, I would have gone... Everton, 100%. Carlo Ancelotti coming mm. in, the revolution happening, this kind of more solid Everton we were expecting to see, but it hasn't really happened. Plus, Newcastle's injury list. But Steve Bruce is doing a decent job at Newcastle at the moment, so I find it difficult to say which way it's going to go. Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard to see where it's going to go because, as I've said before, um, our style is so unpredictable. Our style is we'll keep you out, and if we get the ball, we're going to attack really mm. fast, really direct uh, with with our wingers. The the thing that gives me the most hope tonight is that we have got a fully full strength attack in terms of we've got Alan Sen Maximan, we've got Almiron, we've got Joel Linton up front, and them them as a three are so important to how we play um, that if you take one of them out as Sen Maximan has for the last four or five weeks, you look at the results off the back of that. And we've only got one guy to go through when we win the ball back, and that's Almiron because mm. he's the only one with any pace. Um, Do you think Almiron's coming good now? Because Phil Hudson <clears> used to be on the podcast before he moved back to the northeast. Yep. Was saying the other day that he feels completely vindicted in yep. his uh, in his faith in Almiron after yeah. two goals, uh, three in three all goals. competitions, two in the Premier League, one in uh, <laughs> against is, Rochester. Is that all it takes? <laughs> Yeah, because um, a lot of people who don't watch Newcastle will comment on him and go, he's only got two goals, blah, blah, blah. 
he works his nuts off for the team. Mm. Like defensively, is is way underrated. Um, there was a clip uh, a couple of weeks ago that went sort of a little bit viral of um, against Wolves. Every time Adama Traoré got the ball, we've got one man in in that team in that position mm. in our team at that in that game that could catch him, and that was Almiron. So every time Adama got the ball, Almiron just chased him like a stabbed rat and just went after him. <laughs> Honestly, he just, so at one point, Adama was running clear and no one could really catch him. And Almiron just came out like flipping Speedy Gonzalez and sly tackled him and just put him on his ass. Wow. It was like, wow. This there aren't is... many players that can catch Traore. Exactly, no. yeah. Um, but his, his work rate is amazing. He wins a lot of free kicks. Again, when we when you've got centre-backs, who are, our centre-backs are still our top scorers this mm. season. So uh, that always gives you a chance. Um, obviously we scored it from a, a corner at the weekend as well um, he's just he's very important to what we do and how we play because when we get the ball back in our uh, our final third it goes straight to him and he gets us 50-60 yards up the pitch and tries to do something it doesn't always work it, but it's never going to always work so um, his impact is just massive and you don't see it on match of the day all the time unless he gets an assist or a goal um, but him and then St Maximan's trickery is just key to us. If you take one of them out, we're, 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 we're way off how we want to play. Eight points better off now than you were at this stage last season. Yeah. Does that mean Steve Bruce is a better manager than Rafa Benitez? <laughs> Nine million years now. <laughs> um, that stat's been going around, obviously, this, this, after this weekend. You know, eight points better off. But if you look at the teams we've played it's the reverse of the Brighton scenario isn't it essentially <laughs> yeah yeah um if you look at the teams we've played we've got the same number of points off the teams we've played so like obviously the fixture list works differently yeah yeah season to season so if you look at like you know last games we've played like Chelsea and and who have you um we've got the same amount of points off the same uh opponents at this time last season which I think is a more fair reflection of 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 where we are because you know Rafa's Rafa's an amazing manager. I think we would have got more out of Rafa this season if we still had him. Because um, I think uh, we would have done transfer business differently. We would have mm. still had Rondon. We would have still maybe had Perez. Although we're not missing him that much. Wouldn't have Jolinton. Wouldn't have Jolinton. We'd have a striker who knows the system a little bit better. Um, as in, is a bit stronger and a bit more. Been around the block a few times. Um, so yeah, I think. Bruce is doing fine, but I don't know. It's just the it's just the way we play is a bit uninspiring. But as long as we're getting results, I don't really give a shit to no, me. That's it. The results. I really don't think. care. Um, we we're getting results. We're fine. Um, Matt Ritchie's kicking corner flags into flan, into fans' balls, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm very happy. As for Everton, if you're an Everton fan, do you feel disappointed so far with Carlo Ancelotti's reign? It is dead early doors, and we've already talked about managers being given a bit more time than they sometimes are before they get the pressure piled onto them. They've had some tough games. They've played Liverpool and Man City in his first few games. But would you feel like you wanted a little bit more from Carlo Ancelotti? We haven't really seen that solid Everton side that we no. expected. We haven't seen them sort of shoring up, becoming hard to beat. No, he's, but he's inherited Marco Silva's Everton, hasn't he, really? And it's going to take him a while to sort of get his um, his stamp on things. His Italian sort of like solid way of defending style. Um, one thing you have noticed with Everton is there was a start where they had, they've had more shots than any other Premier League team. They was having more shots on goal. So that's got to be an encouraging yeah. start for Everton. In fact, what they need is they need 
they need an, an, a transfer window where Ancelotti's going to be able to bring his own players in, you know, have his own ideas. I'm surprised and, it's and not been this window. Cause no, we're, we're like no... 21st of January, so 10 days left of the transfer yeah. window, and it's been very, I mean, it's been very quiet everywhere. But it's been really quiet for Everton. I expected a couple of bodies coming in this window. Yeah, especially with the owners, with the ambition that they yeah. have and stuff. Um, obviously, we don't know what's, what's going on behind the scenes with Everton, but maybe they're just going to wait until the summer now because they're not in, they're not in any danger really. Well, they could if they have a few bad results. You know, they could get sucked back in. You know, but it doesn't seem like they're in any any danger really at all. So maybe they're not pushing the panic button just yet. Maybe they want because um, Jan- some sometimes January signings when you bring a, a January signing and they don't really, you know, they don't really do much. Like yeah. if they don't hit the ground running, if they get a full summer, like a full preseason with the club, they get to know the, the players, they get to know how the, the manager wants them to play, like in um, in an environment where he can actually like learn mm. not under pressure, and then um, obviously that will. That'll uh, remain to be seen with Everton, obviously, if um, if Ancelotti is is, is given that that time. Yeah. You can't you can't really argue with Ancelotti because of his record. That's He's it. won it all as a manager. You can't you can't really as Everton fans, they should be you know thanking the lucky stars that they've got a, a manager. Yeah, and if you if you're like, like him. if you're Ancelotti and you've been there and done that, and you know you don't want to waste your transfer budget in January, you've got enough to get you over the line this season. Yeah, and you rebuild in the summer and look ahead to next season. So yeah. who are we going for? Everton versus Newcastle. Like I say, it's impossible to call this one. I just can't see it either way. I, I can see it being a draw. Yeah. Um, as I said, it's it's just hard to predict whether our defense like is gonna hang is gonna hang on, and then and then, and then we're gonna go get something. Um, I don't think Everton have been great. Uh, I'm quietly confident we can get something. Uh, whether we can nick three points is is another thing. They beat us at um, at St James's earlier this season, just over the Christmas period. But it was a terrible game. Uh, Calvert Lewin's got two really scrappy, horrible goals to concede mm. like, from a defensive point of view. So they, it's not like they carved us apart. And I'm thinking, oh God, they might do that again. Um, so I I think maybe a draw. I think terrible game is a good description. I think it could be very edged just edged by Everton with like a 1-0 or something like that Matt I'm saying 1-1 one, 1-1 one. One, one, says Matt right last game we're going to go through is Crystal Palace versus Southampton there's a good reason why I've left this one till last I guess some credit you have to give to Roy Hodgson and Ralph Hasenhutl who have just gone quietly this season particularly when you consider how bad Southampton's start was but and, and Palace to a certain extent but they've gone quietly about grinding out results and mm. creating teams that are reasonably Difficult to beat. Yeah, well, we found that out on Saturday. Yeah, completely. <laughs> I mean, pa- Palace don't concede goals. They don't score many goals either. They don't concede them. And Ralph Hutton Hootle, since the seven, was it seven nine, nil? Was it nine? Nine <laughs> drumming by Leicester City. He's just turned that team around. So credit to both the managers, but it's difficult to get excited by Crystal Palace versus Southampton. I think you've been a bit harsh here. I think Southampton aren't a bad team to watch. I've always rated how what Hasenhutl's trying to do there because mm-hmm. he's not he's not gone in and just thought right we've got nothing so I'll just bump it along mm. to try and get long innings in, in behind. Um, he's he's doing all right. He's doing well. Obviously, results have took him right out of the relegation zone. I'd have, I'd have probably put picked them to go down. Uh, well, especially after the Leicester result, everyone was like right, they're done. Got Danny Ings to thank mainly for that, and yeah, his goals really yeah, have dragged mean, them out. Ings is the most informed striker in the league, I think, at the minute. So I think he's got like is it eleven in his last twelve games or something like that. So as long as you got someone scoring, you've got a chance. Like we talked before about how teams haven't got anyone scoring. Ings Southampton have, and they've gone from like eighteenth to now the thirteenth, and they can go above Palace with this result, and Palace are in ninth. So all of a sudden, 
they can go on to 31 points. That's eighth in the league. It's crazy how, how the league's working. They've strung some results together. They're playing good football. Uh, I don't think this will be too bad a match. I mean, I'm not going to watch it, but <laughs> I'll watch it on match of the day. I'll stay awake for it. Crystal Palace were struggling for goals, despite having Zahar and Benteke and uh, Ayu and stuff. They've now got St. Tolson from yeah, Everton, Tolson, who never yeah. seemed like he was going to be a solution to their goal-scoring problems. But as you say, Matt, he netted against you guys at the weekend. Yeah, that was that was always going to happen. I said that when I seen the start in 11. I said it was, Tolson will end up scoring, because obviously our defence is... Um, not in the best form in a moment and he's got a point to prove after moving from Everton because he got a lot of stick at Everton. I just, I, I don't know. I, I don't think he's a, he's a bad striker. He's just not a great one. He's inside that, that, that middle ground. If you mm. give him, if you give him the right service, like you, you, you'll, you'll put them away most of the time. But I think he's what, he's what Palace were missing. Obviously they've had injuries countless to strikers and obviously even when the strikers have been playing well, you know, they've not been really scoring goals. They've been relying on, you know, your Zahas. And Ayu, yeah, okay. Ayu's probably been their, their best, like, threat in front of goal. But with with Palace, I think it's it's one of them with Palace. Like you said, they don't score a lot of goals. They don't concede goals. I think they're, they're, they're quite happy the way they are at the moment, as long as they're not getting involved in any sort of relegation mm. battles or sucked into any of that. I mean, anything for them now is a bonus. You know, the higher they finish up the table, you know, the, be- the better for them. They've not really got any sort of ambitions of going any further than that. They're not challenging for Europe. They're not really in the relegation, but it's just could be that mid-table obscurity. And I think that's going to show on tonight's game. That's why I think I do agree with you. I think it will be one of them games. Palace have drawn the last four games and they've got a few injuries. They've got Andres Townsend out, Patrick Van Anholt out, Mabadou Sacco out, Benteke out, Jeffrey Schlupp out. I'm going to go another draw. I think five in a row for Palace. Where's it at? Is it Selhurst Bar? It's at Selhurst, yeah. yeah. I think Southampton will go win. Win for Southampton? 2-1. Matt? 1-0 Southampton. Wow. Two people backing Southampton win me a draw, which means Palace win, as we all know. (laughs) Right, let's go through the transfer news very quickly. Let's start off with Manchester United's deal for Bruno Fernandes. Looks like it could be hitting the rocks. Well, it looks like it's off now. This is Abola which is a Portuguese newspaper reporting that the assistant coach at Sporting Lisbon has said that Bruno Fernandes might now stay at Sporting Lisbon this window, which will infuriate Manchester United fans who are 100% convinced he was going to be joining this window. So we can talk about this again in the summer. That's something yeah. to look forward to. <laughs> Instead of Bruno Fernandes, apparently Manchester United are lining up Inter Milan's Uruguayan midfielder, Matias Vecino, who I'm hoping you, Marley, with your eye on European football, could tell me a little bit about. Uh, yeah. That apparently depends on Christian Eriksen going to Inter in the first place. I'll tell you the first thing, he's not the same type of player as Bruno Fernandes. He's a defensive midfielder. Well, you're suggesting, he's like, he's like you're a suggesting Manchester box. United would have some kind of transfer plan yeah. when they go into the market. They've just looked at... I don't know where, they've, where this has come from. He's like... You look at Bruno and he's an attacking midfielder, like a, a classic number 10. Mm. Loads of energy, loads of pace, loads of dribbling. He can shoot from range. Vecino is your typical Uruguayan. He's just a bit of a... Like a Terrero. Yeah, a bit of a terrier. Like, he's box to box. He's not... He's good. At, he's sort of good at everything, but he's not sort of the 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 guy to unlock a defence. He's more the guy to sort of just keep things moving. I think they, they need both types of player they need yeah, a number 10 and a and a, a sort of ball progressing midfielder um so he's I, that it just baffled me when i read it this morning i was like i don't really understand it's not a replacement but i think the 
But I think they the, just want the timing of anyone it. at the moment. Mm, I yeah. think the, the tactic from Manchester United is they know they need to sign a player to placate the fans a little bit. Yeah. And it needs to be someone significant, particularly in midfield, so they can let Paul Pogba go on his merry way to yeah. Real Madrid or wherever he wants to go. To. Yeah. I just think the timing of this rumour has, has led people to think, right, so Bruno's not coming, but Vecino might. He must be the type of player, sort of an alternative, but he's not. He's some, he's isn't as well as, yeah. not a... Not a, a, the same type of player, but I've always said that the um, the Premier League needs more Uruguayans because their abs- <laughs> the, their attitude is just amazing. If you can make them settle, they're proper like house type of player. Like oh, they'll yeah. they'll kick a guy to get him down. I, I love watching Diego Godin. Me, yeah, Godin is he's a he's a big word. I've just said that Jim's probably gonna have to bleep out. I can't keep saying it, but. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then there's like Torreira is similar and then you look at uh, you know Suarez they'll, they'll do anything they have they, mm. they can to win the game for the team so bring on more Uruguayans and there's that clip I posted on social media do you remember a while back of the five-year-old Uruguayan kids <laughs> playing football and one of them just like there's a fight going on between just two of them knee-high slide tackle yeah <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing it's so good I might post it again actually. yeah go, just go and post it watching. again so you can go and check that out if you're listening today at the sports social go and see that clip because it is well worth a watch the other end of the pitch is concerning Manchester United as well or the top end of the pitch they're looking for a replacement for Marcus Rashford who could be out for three months with his Back fracture, which sounds absolutely horrific. Mm. Um, so, a couple of names carrying Man United for the last uh, <laughs> nine months, or whatever <laughs> it's been. Um, there's a couple of names being lined up as a potential replacement. Forty-three million pounds bid for Lyon's French forward Moussa Dembele. He might remember used to play for Celtic as well. Always got in amongst the goals wherever he's played as well. The other option apparently is Edinson Cavani from PSG. There's been loads of rumours linking him with a move away from PSG at some point, either this window or next window. Both would seem like decent options for Manchester United, but two very different options as well. Well, that's a, a Uruguayan, like you Another just said. Uruguayan, then. Yeah. Uruguayan, but he's I've just told PSG to he wants to go. Yeah. He just told PSG he wants to go, hasn't he, if yeah. you've not read recently. He's a high-profile signing. Whether he can do it in the Premier League or not, it, rem- it will remain to be seen, obviously. And he's not got the players that he had you know, at PSG around him. <laughs> You know, you've yeah. got, you, you've gone from having um, there's a there's a long distance you know, between Mbappe and, Mbappe, and uh, yeah. you know Andreas Pereira. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Mar- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, it might be a little bit of a culture shock for him. But if he does go to United, he will be the main man, and maybe that's what he wants. Maybe he just feels like he's been like sort of cast in the shadows now at PSG because of everything that they've got. for me seems like the more sensible option because I think the money they're talking forty three million quid doesn't seem like much either, and he tends to. At, at um, uh, Lyon in Ligue 1 and at Celtic, he was kind of scoring two in one in both mm. those teams. And he's still pretty young. He just seems to fit that Manchester United formula. He was linked with Chelsea not that long ago mm. as well. Yeah. It's if, if he's got it, uh, you know, if it doesn't go well for him at first, I think Cavani's just got that little bit more about him, that little bit more of a self-assurance, self-confidence. Mm. If it doesn't go well for Dembele straight away, he might just shrink within himself a little bit. Yeah. Because um, obviously Cavani's proven it, you know, on the on the biggest yeah. stages of them all, you know. So and Manchester United have proven themselves time and time again. They can break players. And they can break players. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Falcao was another one, wasn't it? I think some. I've, I read something this morning that um, since Cavani's debut, there's only been two players in the world that have scored more goals than him in in appearances, and they're Messi and Ronaldo. Wow. So in somewhat like. 208 games or something 206 games yeah. he scored like 250 goals or something so that's more than Zlatan it's more than Aguero yeah. 
So you're talking about proven strikers. I don't think Man United are in a position where they can take too many chances. It makes sense if it's January for me. If they sign him in this window, Cavani makes sense. If they mm. go after him in the summer, it doesn't yeah. make sense. His it's... wages are a massive problem as well. He's on, he's on about 300 grand a week at PSG. Wow. So, That's a PSG, isn't it? Oh, it can afford it that. is, yeah. PSG, when you're backed by those guys, yeah. One more quick rumour, and it's your guys, Marley, Newcastle United, mm. who are in for, alongside Bournemouth and Sheffield United, apparently chasing Everton's Mason Holgate as well, which I don't really get. I don't see why Everton would let him go, because he's on the verge of... He's playing well for Everton. He's on the verge of playing for England. He seems like he's on that periphery. Why would they want to sign him, and why would he want to go to, with all due respect to Newcastle, Bournemouth and Sheffield United, one of those clubs? Yeah, I, yeah, to be fair, I read that and I didn't get it either. Just because why would Everton sell him? He's, is he 22, 23? So 23. Pe- people in talking about him for England, just carry on doing what you're doing. Yeah. It would cost Newcastle, what, 25 million, 30 million, something like that. So we've also got six centre backs. <laughs> we don't need All a seven. Which, and, and top scorers as well, <laughs> yeah. centre backs. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Unless he's banging in seven a season, and, you know, he's not he's not quite. Unless there's an issue that Ancelotti has with him, you know. Do you know what? I've just seen this, I've just seen the source from this, and it's Football Insider. Oh, oh okay. So well, I think we're going. Put that one to bed. Yeah, we'll just, we'll we're just uh, gloss over that one. Apparently, we're signing Nabil Bentaleb as well today, um, on loan from Schalke yeah, for, yeah, the, uh, for the for the remainder of the season. So. That's another one I'm not that bothered about. I don't really understand where that's come from. Is it just adding numbers at this stage? Yeah, I think so. It's just anyone that's not injured is linked with us. That's, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, he's a centre midfielder. We don't really, we've got five already, mm. so maybe Key's going or something like that. I, I don't really know, but that should be done today. We need a left-back. Obviously, Willems has gone down injured at the weekend. His, uh, his season's over. Yeah, Dummett's season's up. over. We've only got Matt Ritchie. Um and back after four months out. Yeah, and he's just waiting. So, you know, a corner flag's going to get revenge on him. You can one take day, Angelino so. off us if you want. I'd take him. I'd take anyone. <laughs> we just need bodies. We need fit bodies. Oh, that sounds a bit weird. But, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we just need, but yeah, people. Right, we'll go and leave Marley to research his fit bodies because that is it <laughs> from Football Social Daily for today. Thank I'll you do very it on much your computer. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. If you want to subscribe, please do. It means you get the next show as soon as it's ready. Tomorrow we'll look ahead to the rest of the Premier League action. Matt, thank you very much for coming on. Appreciate cheers, it. Thank you. Uh, Marley, cheers. Thank you for coming on again. No problem. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.